paper had another article about it this morning about how teenagers especially idolize Michael Vick. And we have to admit, we're in Southwest Virginia. We took a little bit part of that when Vick was at Tech and winning, quarter, winning games as quarterback for them years ago. When he became a quarterback in the NFL, he became more widely known and lots more kids wanted to wear his jersey with his name on the back and the signature shoes that Nike was putting out. Well, now that Vic has been indicted for charges I won't mention, the Nike shoe company found the integrity to at least press the pause button on the public's worship of Michael Vick. They're withdrawing the release of the current or the upcoming supposedly new signature shoe. And I was refreshed by that sort of social self-regulation in our society that becomes so worshipful of people. It was like when Mika Brzezinski a few weeks ago made international news by refusing to lead the morning news with the story of Paris Hilton's release from jail. Rip, she did to the scripts. I don't know how much of it was playful and how much of it was just um, was serious, but she walked over to a shredder and put one story in about that. Um, it was amusing, but it was also a statement that we go overboard sometimes in our worship of people, celebrities, athletes. We worship technological devices and time savers. We worship beauty and so-called youth. We worship enlightenment and efficiency. But at this moment, during this hour, we worship God. Though the productive part of us, the Martha part of us brings to mind all the things that we could be doing on this beautiful summer morning. The Mary part of us brings us here to devote together one hour out of our 168 this week to God. Nancy Cheatham's sister bought a new car that was loaded with high-tech options the first time she drove the car in the rain, she was trying to find the button to turn on the windshield wipers, but she turned a knob that made a message flash across the screen in front of her, the dash, drive car in 360 degrees. Well, she had no idea what that meant, and so when she got home, she read the car manual. She learned that while trying to turn on those wipers, she had inadvertently turned off the car's internal compass, and so the car had lost its sense of direction. Now, do you ever feel like that car? You lose, feel like you lose your sense of direction? You're turning around in circles as multiple activities taunt you with even louder voices. You need to accomplish me to feel productive and at peace. Your body won't let you do everything you want to do. Family members need your attention. And of course, there are always the issues of eating and sleeping. 
these frustrations, these pulls in various directions cause us to feel fragmented and incomplete. Martha's similar frustrations led her to her visiting friend who seemed to understand everything. And so she knew that he would certainly sympathize with her and support her. That's what I guess. Can you imagine if that's how she felt, what her reaction would have been when Jesus told her that she had chosen poorly? Well, he didn't say that, did he? But don't you think that's how Martha would have taken it? What? <laughs> what are you saying? I've been doing all of this stuff for you and maybe for the 12 disciples accompanying him, and this is the thanks I get? Mary chose the better part? <laughs> so what was Mary thinking? She knew that a woman's role included food preparation for guests. And I imagine her feeling tugged in different directions as well. She probably could anticipate the evil sparks from her sister's glare as she heard the firewood popping and smelled the food cooking. And yet she made the decision to go against what society said and sit at Jesus' feet. She became his student, his disciple, a place typically reserved for men in her day. She recognized somehow that the time that they had with Jesus was rare. Maybe she had a sense that he wouldn't be there for long. So she chose the better part. She chose to spend time with Jesus for spiritual nourishment, even if that meant skipping a meal. I imagine Mary sitting on the dirt, looking up at Jesus in awe as she listened to him, thinking, wow, it all makes sense now. Some of the stuff about life and faith I learned as a child was like pouring water into a basket. Now Jesus has given me a basin. Mary's joy and awe make it unable, make her unable to move back into her former life. Do you ever remember a time that you were spellbound by God? Do you remember feeling a thrill or a peace at knowing of God's presence and power? Or experiencing an answer to prayer in a time of need? Do you remember listening to a piece of music that touched you so deeply that it propelled your thoughts toward God? You have experienced worship. When we worship together, we remember these times and we create new ones. We behold with our spirits a living God made more powerful when we experience this as a group. We gather to fulfill a need that is deep within us 
that tells us that we are not the ones worthy of worship. Only our Creator is worthy of worship. Michael Vick and Paris Hilton are not worthy of worship. Only our powerful and rich God are worthy of worship. Youth is beautiful, but it will pass if it hasn't and is not worthy of our worship. Only our old and wise God is worthy of our worship. So remember Nancy Cheatham's sister who had inadvertently turned off the internal compass in her car so that it lost its sense of direction? To correct the problem, the car had to be driven in a full circle, 360 degrees, pointed north, and then the compass had to be reset. Well, each time we gather to worship, we're resetting our internal compass. We establish true north in our souls, remembering who God is and what God's truth proclaims. When we worship, we offer our attention and devotion to God. Attention, devotion, we offer God honor, praise, adoration, love, reverence, homage, all of these words work into worship. And they need not take place, you know this, they need not take place in a church sanctuary or even with other people around. It was honor, reverence, praise, and love that Mary was offering to Jesus in her silent openness. German philosopher G.W.F. Hegel wrote, Life has value only when it has something valuable as its object. Life has value only when it has something valuable as its object. Marshall Shelley says that early in his marriage, he gave his wife a terrific anniversary gift, a rain gauge you should be laughing because at least he came to realize this because at first he thought it was a great anniversary gift because his wife Susan was a farmer's daughter and she always kind of kept track of the weather and so he just envisioned her delight and nostalgia while tracking their backyard precipitation and he congratulated himself on his creativity. Susan was not impressed a rain gauge for our anniversary? So the rain gauge became a family joke, a classic example of a gift enjoyed by the giver, but not the receiver. Well, we, in our opening prayer, prayed for God to bring us near. Bring us near to God. That's, that's a prayer we can pray to invite ourselves into a spirit of worship. So when we do gather for worship, are we simply sitting through a musical and oratorical performance to be entertained and enlightened? Or are we actually giving something to God when we come here? Are we offering a gift 
and figuring God will like it? Or do we consciously give God praise and reverence and love and adoration? If our focus is only on our experience when we come to worship, we may be giving God a rain gauge. A real gift, real worship means knowing what's important to the receiver. So if God is the receiver of our worship, for you to ponder, what do you think is important to God?